Hello, welcome to the Daily Crown for Monday, June 17th, 2019. I'm Stephen Tolton. It's Movie Monday! And today I want to talk a little bit about a guilty pleasure show of mine, Designated Survivor. Season 3 just dropped on Netflix. It is a show starring Kiefer Sutherland as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Tom Kirkman. At least that's where he is as a pilot. He's a designated survivor during the State of Union address when there was a bombing in the Capitol building. and Everybody dies and he becomes President of the United States. He's an independent, not a member of either political party, centrist. Uh, probably characterizes his character is probably like slightly center left, but he's like he he's not a member of either party. He's an uh, independent guy, and he's supposed to be kind of the regular guy thrust into this this uh position of power and authority, and he needs to rebuild the government in season one, rebuild you know the Congress and the judiciary and the Supreme Court and and you know keep the country together. And uh, yeah, and then season two, I can't even remember most of season two. And then we're up to season three. <laughs> I remember season two, his wife is killed midway through for some reason in a car accident. And like, uh, but during season one, we were also introduced to Maggie Q's character, Hannah Wells, who is an FBI agent who hunts down the conspirators, figures out what's going on there. Uh, they tried to make the show kind of a West Wing meets 24 type of deal. And when it was on ABC for the first few seasons and <clears throat> it kind of worked, kind of didn't work. So, it would split the time between Kiefer Sutherland and his, the other characters in the White House, uh, including Cal Penn, who one of my favorites, played by Seth Wright, Aiden Kanto playing Aaron Shore, and Natalia Ricci as Emily Rhodes. They all come back, uh, as well as Maggie Q and Kiefer Sutherland, and some of the other characters from previous seasons do not, unfortunately. Then they have some other new ones. But uh, anyway, season one, they kind of split it up, and it kind of worked. Hannah Wells went out and did the thriller stuff. Then you had the more politicking and backstabbing and that kind of stuff happening. The other half, and they barely ever talk to each other. So by now we're in season three, and they've already done all the conspiracy stuff they can for that. They That whole conspiracy about the Capitol, that, is, that was basically taken care of in season one, mostly, and then season two. By the end of season two, like everybody related to the conspiracy is dead, or I guess, you know, otherwise, and may, you know, uh, met justice or something. So... <clears throat> They didn't really have a lot to do with her character this year. So they still try to split the plot line in this series between White House shenanigans and this. But this year, the big difference is this is an election year. So Tom Kirkman needs to run for president for the first time. He's never run for any office. So they bring in uh, Julie White's character, Lorraine Zimmer, to be the campaign manager. So they split the time between campaign campaign stuff, White House kind of stuff, and then Hannah Wells stuff as she's trying to hunt down I shit you not this is who she's trying to hunt down a bioterrorist who is a South African white supremacist mad scientist who's trying to create a virus that targets only people with darker skin in order to sterilize them yep that's what they're doing they're trying to hunt down this uh this bioterrorist and it's kind of a ridiculous storyline and the way that it is resolved is not super satisfying, I would say, especially not for the Hannah Wells character. But you may disagree. It kind of depends on how much you liked Hannah Wells, I guess. I was never a huge fan of Hannah Wells, but I think that was, that was mainly because I don't think they wrote her that well, at least past season one. Um, I thought I thought her her shenanigans made more sense in season one, and then it was like they didn't know what to do with her. And in this season, like, they really didn't know what to do with her, so they gave her the most 
mustache-twirling villain they could possibly think of. A literal Bond villain who, by the way, one of the... He, he literally... He literally calls himself a Bond villain and gives a Bond villain speech. Yes. Yes, he does. So, that's what they did with her. So, her her whole subplot, not the most interesting thing. The big focus of the series is on the campaign <clears throat> for the White House and, uh, and him running as an independent and then some stuff in the White House. But mostly, it's like a lot of the campaign stuff. They also do a lot of subplots uh, this season. So they have subplots on opioid addiction, which is actually a good one. Uh, Anthony Edwards as Mars Harper, his character, uh, Mars, his wife is an opioid addict. There's a lot of subplot with that one. His character goes through a lot of evolution. All the characters evolve in this in this show. I mean, the show is really about can a good man stay a good man or a good person? Can they stay a good person in the swamp of D.C. and all that? How does something like a campaign or being in high-level politics and political power change you? And everybody goes through some changes in this one. Uh, except for Cal Penn's character, Seth Wright. I don't think he... His whole storyline is a little bit like like lighter weight. I don't know this where I mean, not lighter weight, but it's like less about the politics and stuff and more about personal growth, which I liked. I, I like Cal Penn a lot, though. So his character, he, he finds out that he has a daughter uh, because he was a sperm donor when he was young in college or something. And so he finds out he has a daughter and, and meets her and meets the, her mom at some point and... Uh, and like, there's a whole subplot with that, with him, you know, finding out he has a daughter and how wonderful that is for him. And so, uh, because he, he took like a DNA test and then she reached out to him and they connected on one of those like websites, like 23andMe type website. And so it's kind of an interesting subplot because a, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff in this, ep- this season seems to be about medicine, healthcare, biohacking. It's, it, it's kind of interesting about, uh, about that, that there, the, the, you can see where the writer's heads were. So, uh, Cal Penn's whole subplot, uh, is kind of, um, kind of fine. It's fine. You know, it's actually probably one of the, just the kind of straightforward, nice subplots. I don't think anything really dramatically bad or anything happens to him. Uh, Emily Rhodes, played by Talia Ricci, her subplot is, again, her character has never, I think, been written all that coherently. And in this one, they put her through the emotional ringer. Her mom's dying, uh, and, they do an assisted suicide subplot with her. They really cram the subplots in here, like the big, the big controversial topics. And so they don't have enough space to to really breathe. The opiate addiction one probably gets the most space of these subplots. The biohacking stuff with Hannah Wells and the and the racist terrorist, you know, bioterrorist guy is actually not that interesting ultimately. But the opioid one, um, is gets probably most. The assisted suicide subplot is i don't think given quite enough justice like uh, i would say italia ricci does a really good gives a really good performance a powerful performance as part of that plot like because she's put through the emotional ringer but it doesn't quite work uh, uh because they don't really go into the issues about assisted suicide uh it's really just kind of it, it almost feels like the only reason it exists is so that they can give uh, the Emily Rhodes character, like some kind of horrible emotional moment. It doesn't even seem to have much of an effect on anything. Maybe only because it happens late in the season and there's not enough time for to really see the effects. Not sure what they were going for with that one, but there you go. <clears throat> they, they do a transgender rights episode, um, you know, subplot. They do, uh, there's like a teacher strike subplot. One of them, um, 
where it actually has, I think, more to do with campaign funding than anything else because they're trying to get money from some rich people. And it kind of tangentially goes into the plot line with the um, with Maggie Q's Hannah Wells character because one of the rich people they like run into there is like one of the people involved in that or something. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, let's see. They do a long another the other big s- subplot besides the opioid addiction is related to Aaron Shore's heritage. Um, Aaron Shore, played by Aiden Canto, returns, and they introduce Isabel Pardo, played by Elena Tovar, who they're both Puerto Rican descent. And Aaron's Aaron's it starts out the season being less embracing of his heritage, or at least less like being public about it. He doesn't want people to judge him based upon his 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 heritage or being like you know Puerto Rican. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't want to be he becomes a VP candidate and he's really worried. He's like, oh, you're making me VP. He doesn't want to be known as the you know the the Latino VP. Like he doesn't want that to be the only thing people know about him. He wants to be treated as a uh, as an end in himself, an individual, and and his girlfriend Isabella Pardo is very pro her heritage, and it's like a big part of her life, and she's expressing of it, and so they kind of somewhat flip places a little bit by the end, where she's like an activist, straight up activist in some ways in the beginning, and she broadcasts aspects of her heritage all the time, like you know, the pictures she has in her office, the T-shirts, controversial people on them, and that kind of deal, like, um, where he's much reserved, he's trying to, he even changed his name to Shore, so he wasn't, you know, so, and they go into the whole, the whole subplot about that, and then by the end of it, he's, like, much more embraced his heritage, and talks about it publicly and everything, and she, I feel like, they have her tone it down a bit, because she starts, she starts gaining power, and gets, like, a promotion by the end, and she's not as, I don't know her 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 plot line. It, it seems like they kind of dropped that whole activist thing on it. Not really, because she's she's working to go after, you know, like um, you know, drug companies and stuff by the end. But uh, it does kind of feel like they kind of reverse roles a little bit uh, throughout the season. But that's like a big subplot. What else they do? They do uh, <laughs> so many subplots. There's a, a whole related to the Aaron Short subplot and the Isabel Short subplot. There's a, a Guatemalan child who comes across the border illegally in Texas and uh needs like a kidney transplant there's like a whole thing about that in there and they 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 <laughs> they bring in like protesters and everything it's oh my god yeah so they they touch on illegal immigration as well and uh they touch a lot on medic medicine the cost of healthcare the access of healthcare who's responsible for the opioid addiction uh crisis uh and corruption with the FDA and uh the drug companies uh they also look at uh in campaigns uh where does the money come from a little bit they talk about the 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 lengths that you'll go to play dirty in order to win in politics the bioterrorism plot line ends up by the end of the season becoming a major part of the reason why kirkman has a chance of winning uh it's ridiculous and over the top but it's that's the show it's ridiculous and over the top you got to go with it and then on election day, it's like most of the episode is him talking to his therapist about whether or not his, his choices that are probably going to lead to him being president here that, that he may he makes at the end of the season are justifiable. Like it's a basically an ends do the ends justify the means type of discussion. So the show tries to do a lot. It tries to have interesting character arcs. 
It tries to touch on a lot of complicated issues um, about uh, identity issues. It tries to talk about um, you know medical issues and healthcare issues, drugs and uh, you know and immigration and lots of stuff related to politics and campaigns and big and money. Uh, and it's just, it's in bioterrorism and racism and, uh, 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 you know, transgender rights and uh, like <laughs> teachers and, uh, so much stuff is packed into 10 episodes that they can't keep all the subplots working. So a lot of them, some episodes have multiple subplots going on and they just kind of get dropped, you know, that's the nature of it. I, I feel like the show's primary issue like if you can if you can get on board with the the idea that this is a crazy show this is not going to be like madam secretary which is a fantastic show that is has really good acting and really good uh plots often about kind of realistic ish you know you know um international issues and they're mostly just trying to find diplomatic solutions and stuff a little bit of action this show is like like 24 mixed with West Wing with a, like a heavy dose of 24, like just so much drama, so much twists and turns and backstabbing and stuff. You get on board with that. It's a ridiculous kind of heightened reality world that they live in. Sometimes like that's cool. Like you can get on board with that. That's fine. And then the the problem is they, sh- they just need to cut out some of the subplots. There's just like too many of them in here. And there's, there's too many hot button issues they're trying to tackle. Uh, the one the one thing they did this season, which was very different, and I don't think I've seen this before, was a lot of times they were trying to to bring in the voices of actual people from the real world. Uh, they had these documentary clips. They they claim they're from some documentary that they use as in the show as part of um, like political campaign ads or just Kirkman like watching them on the internet. And it's people talking about their own issues, the issues they want the government to do or that the government fails to do or opioid addiction i think they do that one i think they they do a transgender one they do um yeah where they have like real people talking about this stuff in the show either at videos or like like these characters in the show uh and uh yeah it's kind of interesting they do um what else do they do they do they do a couple of these things so it's it's kind of kind of cool that they brought in real people or real real people's perspectives into the show it makes it uh, it makes it, it gives it this bit of a meta narrative which uh i haven't seen a lot of in a show like this before i mean all, always in a show that has politics in it like this they're gonna gonna try to have episodes and plot lines that deal with present day hot button issues of course but in this case uh they just literally bring in real people and have uh, or clips of real people and they just they weave it into the show in a way that's reasonably realistic you know like they're making a campaign ad so they they wanted to they wanted to have uh you know videos of people expressing this point of view or whatever and so it kind of logically almost fits into the show that they do this uh, and i thought that was actually cool because because it wasn't fake it was very authentic and that's why i like because in a show that is completely re- over the top ridiculous that kind of authentic authentic those authentic clips are are refreshing in there uh, so I, I kind of like that they were attempting that. I don't think it hundred percent works for the show, but that they were actually trying that was kind of cool. So that's kind of the thing about the season. It's trying a lot of stuff. I, I feel like all of the actors and the producers, everyone involved in the show 
probably w- was just grateful that they got renewed, <laughs> you know, and they were having fun, I think. I think they had fun in the show. They certainly had fun cursing up a storm because they could they could now. So there's a lot of, there's several scenes that are very funny, I thought, with, like, Cal Penn and uh, Julie White plays Lorraine Zimmer and Cal Penn is Seth Wright. Like, they have a couple of scenes where they are just, like, cursing, which is amazing. And Cal Penn also gets a really great self-righteous kind of well in a good way and like he's a righteous speaker say so he does like a righteous takedown of of um the press at one point for for you know and and it's uh, for um focusing on some bullshit uh fake news stuff and uh and uh he he gets all like righteous about it the kind of thing that would immediately get you fired in real life (laughs) As press secretary, losing your cool like that, but it somehow doesn't <laughs> with because it's Cal Penn. But anyway, it's it's actually a, a cool. There's some some good dialogue, some good speeches in this. They remind me of the West Wing. Uh, the action is there, but it's it's not great. You know, it's, it's also I think a little less. There's less of a budget this time. Uh, but the uh, the overall feel of the show is pretty fun and. You know, twisty, and I like it. And there's a there's a lot of wish fulfillment you can tell in here. Uh, you know, you have you have scenes like you have scenes where one of the main characters is basically telling off the corrupt politicians or the corrupt you know um, CEO or whatever, and uh, and it's that's kind of nice. That's kind of fun, I guess. It's not really realistic, but it's fun, and that's kind of the point of the show. It's not a realistic take on the premise of the show. Uh, when it first aired, I was hoping that they were going to take it very seriously because uh, it's a it's it's almost a ludicrous concept, but it's one that we have thought about before because there isn't such thing as designated survivors. So as a hook, it's a great it's great because you're like, okay, well, what would happen? Like, what is one possible way that this could go down if if a scenario like this happened? Like, what would happen? And if you had somebody who was a real independent there, like, what would happen? And in season three, it's like if you have a real independent, how would an independent successfully, you know, you know, run for president in the United States when they have no major party backing support? Like they have good hooks in here, they just don't quite execute well enough because I feel like they don't focus down enough. They resolve the issue of the capital bombing and the conspiracy way too quickly in like season one, essentially. That should have been a plot that lasted maybe for at least two seasons. I mean, it sort of did, but not really. Like, the, the majority of it was, like, season one. Um, and I feel like the impact of the of that whole event is kind of just... It's not even mentioned in season three that I remember. And I feel like that's not really very realistic, that, you know, if the Capitol was killed and all these... You know, like, like there, you'd think that this would have a much bigger impact. It just feels like this was a soft relaunch of the show. In season three, and it's like, yeah, it's called Designated Survivor, but it's not really about that. You know, we're going to put that aside. <laughs> uh, so, it, uh, that's why I call it a guilty pleasure show. It's, it's, uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously. It's sometimes really fun. It has all those elements that you might, if you liked uh, West Wing speeches, it's got that. If you like thriller, action it's got that. If you like, uh, you know, the the cowboy hero hunting down just an incredibly obvious and irredeemable bad guy, you got that. You know, got like like you know, you got um, you got backstabbing politicians in there. You got uh, you know, like lots of subplots to keep track of in there. 
you got morally ambiguous character <laughs> arcs sometimes in there. You got a lot of wish fulfillment in there, political wish fulfillment in there. Uh, it, it definitely feels like, yeah, as I said, I, I mean, the best way to describe it is 24 meets West Wing. So if you like that kind of idea, go see it. It's, it go watch it. It's great. I think they have all three seasons now on Netflix. Uh, and you can just start probably with season three if you wanted to. They have a little recap video because season three really it doesn't have a whole lot of connection to the plots from the first two. Not really. They changed a lot of the characters. So you can just start there if you want to watch it. Um, I think probably the first season is still probably the best. So that's going to be it. That's my movie Monday. It's a little long. Rambling on about Designated Survivor. I like it. You let me know. Do you like Designated Survivor? Um, do you like Kiefer Sutherland? Because I know I do. I think he was actually just playing at the Ardmore the other day, or is about to or something. That's crazy to me. <laughs> I did not go to that, but uh, that's pretty cool. Anyway, uh, that's going to be it. Let me know what you think about this. You can find me on Twitter at Stolton, S2LTON. You can go to dailycronpodcast.com, find social media links, archive old episodes, all that good stuff. And that's going to be it for this Daily Cron for Monday, June 17th, 2019. Talk to you next time. Later.